We'll turn to Matthew 14. Matthew 14, we're continuing our study of the sayings of Peter. And as we said, it's not really like the life of Peter, but it's just different things that he said. And we're just trying to tie those together, different statements. There's a lot we can learn. This morning, we're continuing in this famous event where Jesus walks on the water. One of the miracles, you know, when people talk about Jesus' miracle, they always say, change the water to wine. And then they think for a minute and they'll say, walked on the water, because that's just really a famous one. We saw last time, let me give you the flow of what's going on. We saw that Jesus fed 5,000. We said the 5,000, but it's really more than that. It's 5,000 men, not counting women and children. There could have been as many as 20,000 people that he fed. He then sent the disciples away and the crowd away, and we talked about it last week, but I'll touch on it real quickly. He then goes on the mountain to pray, and he has sent the, the men in the boat to go across the Sea of Galilee, and it should have not taken them maybe maybe two to three hours at the most, and and they're, they're, we're going to find they've been out there for at least nine hours and they're not very far. They're not even halfway across. And, and in the midst of the storm, Jesus comes walking on the water. And so we're going to say, what in the world's going on? How is this happening? And we see in this little passage, two, Peter's two statements. The first one is, we saw last time as well, command me to come out and walk. That's uh, the third saying. And then the fourth saying will be, save me. And we'll see how that ties together uh, as we get into the passage. So let me raise a question. So let's just think. Most of us know this. This is not new for our church. It could be new uh, for some other churches, some other people to have to think about it. But we say, what does it mean to be saved? Well, we hear the statement, saved, Acts 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. We realize that there are many usages of the word to save. In fact, the word for salvation is, is soteria in Greek, and it, could, it, could, it means deliverance. That's what it means. And it could mean a lot of different ways. It could be a physical deliverance. Think about it. Say, you, could be, you could be fall down in a hole and you're going to die and somebody pulls you out and saves you. Or you could be drowning and somebody could save you. Or you could be sick and somebody give you some medicine and it saves your life. And so it, it, say it, salvation could mean a physical deliverance. But saved can also refer to what we call eternal life salvation, saved from being separated from God. And it's the idea of the Bible calls that justification. It's where you believe in Jesus Christ and you're saved and saved forever. In our lives, it's a past tense event that we have been saved. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And so that's eternal life salvation. So we could be saved that way. And that's why in Acts 16.31, when he said, what, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's asking, how do you have eternal life salvation? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved in your household. But saved can also refer to the Christian life salvation, saved from the power of sin in our life. And the word of the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and those kind of things. And so a lot of times in the Bible, when you see the word salvation, it may be referring even to Christian life salvation. And, and there's even more, and we're going to talk about it more as we study. But uh, there's a lot of different ways. This morning, Peter's going to say, Lord, save me. And he's not asking for eternal life salvation, okay? He's not asking for Christian life salvation. He's asking to be saved from drowning, and that's what we see. Remember, the, and we'll just go really quickly through this. Peter's sayings, the first one was, depart from me, for I'm a wicked man. He realized the holiness of Jesus Christ, his sinfulness, and how powerful that was. And then he said, we have left all to follow you. And that was the, really the issue of discipleship. I think that understanding, let me just say this, and I'm going to take a second to do this. Understanding the difference between uh, salvation and discipleship changes everything. If you understand that, that salvation is a gift by faith alone in Christ alone, once you're saved, you're saved and saved forever, 
And discipleship is where you're serving God, living for God, and your life counts for him, and you're growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. If you understand those are two different things, then you're, you're doing great, and you, you can understand it. But so many people think they're the same, and they'll say, offer your life to Jesus to be saved. And if you're not serving him, you're not saved. And, I, and they've confused it all, and they've made works for salvation. So I think it's so important when Peter says, we've left all and followed you. He's not talking about salvation or, or eternal life salvation. He's really talking about Christian life salvation. He's talking about discipleship and living for Christ. The third one we saw last time, which was pretty powerful, when he, when he basically said, command me to come out. We're going to talk more about it in just a minute just to review it. But he actually says to Jesus, command me. Command me to come out and walk on the water. And then the fourth saying we're going to see this morning as well is save me. And so when you, when you look at this, what's he talking about? And I, I love it because he says, Lord, save me. And if you pull that out of the context and just said, Peter wants God to save him, somebody could say, yeah, you know, he wants Jesus to give him eternal life or something. No, what's the flow of the passage? What's going on? And we'll see it as we go through it. So let me remind you, we're going to go through what we went through last week, and I'll, I'll just get on to the first thing is that Jesus feeds the 5,000 men. It's the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. You know, if you count in, there's about 35 or 30, maybe more, but at least 35 miracles that Jesus does in the four Gospels. So if you take them all and try to look at the miracles, this is the only miracle that's found in all four Gospels. It's the feeding of the 5,000 men or the fifteen to 20,000 people. And it's not, you know, 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And so the questions we raised last week, why did Jesus send away the disciples? Why did Jesus send away the crowd? Why did Jesus send away the disciples? What did we say? Do you remember? First of all, he didn't want them to be caught up in the situation which is about to happen, and he wanted to test them. He's putting them in the boat to send them across. Why did he send away the crowd? What was going on there? Do you remember? Huh? They want to make him king. Now, that sounds real good because Jesus came and offered himself to Israel as the king, but they weren't wanting him to be the king as the Messiah king. They wanted him to be the king to whip the Romans and give them food because he just fed them. And they were saying, this is the man that can feed us and whip the Romans. And when he saw that, he realized that he sent them away because that's not what he wanted. The second thing happened, Jesus went up uh, on the mountain to pray. And we talked last week that he's most likely praying for his men. They're in the boat. And what we don't really know exactly is that he's praying, but they're in the boat and they've started across the Sea of Galilee. Should take about three hours at the most and they're stuck, and a big storm has hit them, and the wind and the waves are contrary. They're digging their oars, and they can't even move the boat. It's stuck out there. They started probably around 5 o'clock in the afternoon. We're going to find out it is now 3 o'clock in the morning. So they've been out there at least 9 hours, when it should have taken them 2 to 3 at the most. They're stuck out there. They're afraid. They're not very far across, and, and it's just a terrible time. What is Jesus doing? He's praying. And one of the things we can learn that in the midst of the trials and problems that's going on in our lives, Jesus is praying. He's, always, he's making intercession for us. Uh, I love it. We talked about it last week that he lives forever to make intercession. We can come boldly to the throne of grace because Jesus Christ has already gone before us. We can bring any request to him, and, and that's powerful. The third thing is then Jesus walks on the water, and this was really famous. If you, if you look at chapter 14, um, Uh, Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, he, Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. I told you that liberals, you know, who who deny miracles, 
They say Jesus didn't change the water to wine or heal a blind man or walk on the water. Those are just, they just put that in there. <clears throat> in fact, some would say that Jesus was walking along the sea, sort of along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and that's when they saw him. Well, first of all, they're three to four miles out. It's a storm. It's at night. He's not walking on the ground. It says he's walking on the sea, so he's walking on the water. It's a miracle. The miracles are all over the Bible. Our God does miracles. Uh, one of the greatest miracles of all is he takes you who, who are dead and trespasses in and makes you alive in Jesus Christ. That's a miracle in that sense. So he's walking on the water. He's going across. And in verse 24, it says, The boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the winds, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, and of course, they're three, John says they're three to four miles out. The boat was many stadia, stadia 600 feet, so it was many out there. And it says the problem, they've run into a storm, and they're harassed, they're battered, they're hit by the waves, and just picture the boat being tossed. And then it says in the fourth watch of the night, that was from three to six in the morning. So they've been out there. I just, just imagine this. What, what if this was six o'clock in the evening, and we all said we're going home? And something happens to one of you, and it's now 3 o'clock in the morning, and you're still not home. I mean, that's a long time. And they, they've been in this boat, and they're fishermen, so this is not anything new to them that there could be a storm, but this is really a, a, really a tough time. And so <coughs> they're, uh, they're, 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 all that's happening to them. So they see Jesus, verse 26. <coughs> when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And said, it is a ghost. It, it is, you know, they saw him. They were frightened. They thought it was <coughs> a phantom, uh, something in a dream possibly. They cried out in fear. They were afraid. Verse 26 says they were cried out in fear. But here's what Jesus does, as always. Jesus immediately spoke to them saying, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And uh, let, me, let me just go back to there. They cried out in fear. But he says, you don't have to be afraid. Let me ask you something. In the midst of the storms, is Jesus with us? <coughs> we already know he prays for us, right? I'm going to get some water for a second. I, I, I've been having this for the last three or four weeks, and it just seems to get worse instead of better. That's good. Okay, so uh, he, he, he's always with us. I, I love this story because, number one, Jesus prays for us in the midst of the storms. Jesus is always with us in the midst of the storms. So what happens? So Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me, Peter said. And this is, this is the third saying, we saw it last time. He says, if it's you, since it's you. It's the first class if in Greek, which could be translated since. Since it's you, because he believed it to be true that it was Jesus, command me to come to you. Now that is an amazing statement. He didn't say, let me come out. He said, command me to come out. Come out to you on the water. He's actually saying, let me walk on the water. And I mean, it's a pretty powerful statement. And, and the word command there, instead, to empower me. He actually believes that he can walk on the water. Now, y'all know I don't like water. I talked about that. I, I would never get out of that boat. First off, I probably wouldn't have gotten the boat. I wouldn't have been a fisherman. I don't know what I would have done uh, anyway. But so here's what happens. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. He's walking on the water. Let me tell you, God can take your life and use you to do things beyond what you could ask or imagine. Now, if Peter can walk on water, and that's a miracle, what can he do with our lives? In our day-to-day -day existence, what could he do in our lives that if he could take a, a normal people and use us in 
amazing, extraordinary ways. A lot of times people say ordinary people, extraordinary ways. He can take us and use us. I mean, think about it. You, you get to tell somebody how they can have eternal life. You, we get to do that. We get to tell people the Bible and how it fits together. We get to do all this. So Peter is pretty, pretty amazing there when he says, command me to come out, and he comes out, and he walks on the water, and he came toward Jesus. He's walking toward Jesus. And, and just we don't know how far Jesus is from the boat, but let's just face that those first chairs, Peter gets out, and he's walking, and he's walking toward Jesus. Now remember that the wind is still going, the waves are still going up, and he's not walking on, on, on you know, still water. He's not walking on that. He's walking in waves and wind and powerful stuff. And, and as we always say here, he has the wrong focus because he starts seeing the wind and the storm and he took his eyes off Christ and he looked at the wind and the waves. Look what it says in verse 30. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink and he cried out. And here's this fourth saying. He said, Lord, save me. Now, when I look at this, uh, he took his eyes off. And, and look at this. There are two ways to live, and we've talked about this many times, and the reason I brought this back up, I think it's just too powerful to over, overlook or not to go into detail on. We can either live our lives looking and having our focus on Christ, leading the, the Word of God, living by the Scripture, making our lives count this way, or we can look at all the circumstances and be fearful. Now, you know, you can look at our world now, and we see it crumbling right before us. And we can put our focus on the world and how things aren't going good, and the stock market's dropping, and all this stuff's happening, and all these people. I mean, you just look at everything and think the world, and we could put it on those circumstances. Or we can keep the focus on Jesus Christ. He is in control. He is working all things according to counsel of his will. He loves us beyond what we could imagine. He is our strength and our shield. And so Peter is out, and, and instead of keeping the focus on Jesus... And walking toward him, he begins to look around, and he sees this wind, and the waves are going up and down and all around. And at the moment, basically, it looks to me like the moment he takes his eyes off Christ and puts it on everything else, he starts sinking. Because notice what it said, but seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. Now, he wasn't sinking until he, he was, it says that he was walking and came toward Jesus. So he's looking to Jesus, but the moment he looks around, he starts to sink. And one of the things we could say is this. The moment we take our eyes off Christ, we're going to start sinking in a fallen world and all the culture and all the uh, ups and downs of life. So Peter is taking his eyes off. And so here, here we see, what does he say? Lord, save me. I put number five that Jesus always saves. He is always there for us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we cry out? This fourth saying has saved me. It's a real short one. It's real simple. Uh, you know, when people pray, I, I, I'll never forget. When I first started being a pastor, okay, I remember thinking, I'm just going to say this, and I hope it didn't come across bad. I, I remember that I, when I started growing as a Christian, I would go to different churches and different things, and, and I, I realized that a lot of preachers had a preacher voice. Do y'all, y'all, y'all think that? Oh, Heavenly Father, please just help us today. They don't talk that way, really, normally, right? And then they use King James in their prayers. Like, like well, all of a sudden, we, we go back. And, and so I realized that as a pastor, I, th- I don't want to have a pastor voice. Like, you know, hello, everyone. We're so glad you're... You know, I just couldn't stand that. And, and, and you know, sometimes when people pray, uh, they pray these long things. When Peter didn't pray a long prayer, did he? What did he say? Save me. You know, I went to, listen, I, this, you're not going to believe this. I, 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 this is a true statement. I went to a meeting at a church that had a special guest speaker, 
And before the guest speaker spoke, they asked one of the men to pray. I was in the balcony. And he started to pray. And for some reason, I looked down at my watch. I'm telling you the truth. He prayed 23 minutes. I've never heard anything like that before. The speaker didn't have that much time. He prayed 23 minutes. If Peter prayed 23 minutes, he'd have drowned, right? I mean, <laughs> think about it. I, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating because I remember he started to pray and somehow I just looked down at my watch and then it kept going and it kept going and I went, not that I wasn't praying with him, but of course I, I kept looking and I thought, my gracious, when is he going to ever stop? And, and, and the truth is public prayer should be what? Short. Private prayer should be longer. So when you're asked to pray publicly, you don't have to pray for every missionary you've ever heard of. And, and, and I mean, it's, it's, that's, you know, that's not the time necessarily. So anyway, what does he say? Lord, save me. It's a real short prayer. And one of the great truths is Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known. We should tell God what our requests are. And, and we could say it this way, Lord, this is what I want. I, I'm not sure of your will. I, I, I want it to be according to your will, but you've told me to tell you what we want. So here's what I want. And, and it's okay to do that. He says, let your request be made known to God. So what is Peter saying? When Peter said, save me, what's he talking about? He's talking about a physical deliverance. That's what he's saying. What's he talking about? A physical deliverance. Physically save me from drowning. And sometimes when we look in the Bible, and this is where you want to get the key. <coughs> when you look in the Bible, what does the word save or salvation mean? We just talk, it's just really weird how things happen like this. The lesson I just taught last Wednesday night in, in uh, the SBI class, my 2-2 class, was lesson nine, which was the three-phase plan of salvation. And we looked at the word salvation and saw how it's used in the Bible. That's exactly what I wanted to touch on this morning. But this, we did this a long time ago. I mean, I didn't plan this, but God must want us to know this. When we think about God's plan of salvation, and we're talking now about, uh, not about a physical deliverance. I'm, I brought this out. When you see the word salvation in the Old Testament, almost, almost every time salvation in the Old Testament is a physical deliverance, almost every time. So be careful and don't think it always means eternal life salvation because in the Old Testament, it almost never does. In the New Testament, when you see the word salvation, it can mean three things. And we're talking about uh, not a physical deliverance, but we're talking about uh, a salvation. We have a salvation from the guilt and penalty of sin. We have salvation from the power of sin and even salvation from the presence of sin. And those, those sometimes the Bible will say... Uh, for by grace you have been saved. It's past tense. And let me just show you something. You're going to love this. If you've never seen this before, I think most people have. But salvation from the penalty of sin means that we owe God what? What is the penalty of sin? Death. We owe God death. So the provision, Jesus Christ came and died in our place and rose again. And by faith in him, what do we have? Eternal life. This the Bible calls this justification. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you're justified. It's a past tense action. Every one of us in this room have been justified. We have been saved by faith alone. That's why Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved. So there's a salvation in the Bible, which we'd call it eternal life salvation, that you believe in Jesus Christ and you're saved and saved forever, and that's past tense. So all of us in this room who have believed in Christ, 
We've been justified. We have been saved from the guilt and penalty of sin. Then there's a second aspect, which is the power of sin. And the power of sin, this is now Christian life. This is now present tense. The, pr- Christian, the power of sin is the flesh. We have a natural bent to do what? To, what's our natural bent? To sin. And so the provision, God actually gave us the Holy Spirit, and it's by our faithfulness as we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the Christian life salvation. This is often called sanctification. The other one's called justification. This is called sanctification. It's present tense. Philippians 2.12 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's present tense. That's not eternal life salvation. That's Christian life salvation. He's saying, live out who you are in your Christian life. And so all of us in this room have been justified. That's past tense salvation. We're supposed to be being sanctified. That's present tense salvation. And that depends on our faithfulness. Are we going to walk in the Spirit? What does the Bible say? Walk in the Spirit. You'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh, okay? Then there's one more, and this is a future aspect, salvation from the presence of sin. And the, the, that's his future. The provision, the presence is his fallen old world and everything. Provision is by the Father. He's going to send the Son, Jesus Christ. This is by God's faithfulness. This is future. It's called glorification, and it is in the future. And Romans, when you look at Romans 13, 11, it says, our salvation is nearer than it's ever been. That's a future salvation. That's not talking about eternal life salvation. It's not talking about Christian life salvation. It's talking about a future salvation. And that is what we'd call glorification. And so when you think about the Bible, sometimes you'll see the word salvation and it means justification in the fact that you have been saved. Sometimes you'll see it in the word salvation, and it'll mean sanctification, and it means you are being saved, you are being set apart, you are growing as a Christian. And then sometimes you'll see it, and it's a future, and it means glorification, and it's something that's going to happen in the future. So I wanted you to understand that. Now, Peter just says, save me. He's talking about physical. But this is, that's the three aspects. And, and let me just show you something. So God totally saves us, past, present, and future. Past tense justification, present tense sanctification, future tense glorification. We have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. We're saved by faith in Christ, we have eternal life. We're saved by the power of the Holy Spirit in our Christian life. And one of these days, Jesus is going to come get us and we'll be saved from all of this around us. By the way, the book, the, the verse in Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 12 and 13, give all three salvations in one verse, or in those three verses. In verse 11, he says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That's justification. Teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, to live righteously and godly in this present age. That's sanctification. And then looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's future. So that passage, Titus 2, 11, 12, and 13 Give us all three of those salvations at one time. So it's beautiful. And so you should love it and just eat it up. And sometimes, sometimes go over there and read Titus. I didn't put it up. Uh, Go over there and read those three verses and see the past, the present, and the future. Because the past is the salvation has appeared. The present is teaching us to deny ungodliness and to live righteously now. And in the future as we look for the glorious appearing of our Savior. So let me do this. So let's, 
Let's trust God in the trials, problems, and circumstances of life. Now, before I get into that, I wanted to remind you, I told you that there were four miracles in this passage. We only talked about two because we stopped. We stopped because he says, by the way, immediately Jesus, let me just give you this. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him, and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I would have said, little faith? I got out of the boat. <laughs> but then he saw, now we're going to see the next miracle. It's in the next verse. Look what it is. When they got into the boat, what happened? The wind stopped immediately. How long have they been in this storm? Maybe six, seven, eight, nine hours. As soon as Jesus gets in the boat, the wind stops. So Jesus walked on the water. Peter walked on the water. Jesus stopped the wind. The fourth miracle is not found in this one. It's found in the Gospel of John. And it says, after he got in the boat, immediately they, they were at the shore. Immediately. That means that all of a sudden they went, and they're at the shore. They've been out in the middle of the thing for nine hours. Jesus gets in the boat, wind stops, and all of a sudden they're at the shore. And you could have said to Jesus, why didn't you get here earlier and do this? (laughs) Look what happened. Think about it. (coughs) So four miracles. And think about the four miracles. Jesus walks on the water. Peter walks on the water. The wind stops, and they're immediately at the shore. Four great truths. Jesus is praying for us. Jesus is always with us. Keep focus on Jesus, and Jesus takes us through the trials. It's some good stuff. I love that passage, and you can, you can teach this. Listen, y'all, anyone in this room, somebody asked you to teach the Bible. Somebody asked you, hey, would you do a Bible study? Would you do something? You can say, yeah, just turn to, to uh, Matthew 14, and we're going to see four miracles. And just teach it. You can do it. it. It's really good. So, first of all, let's trust God in the trials and problems and circumstances of life. He's always there. He empowers us. I mean, think about this. He, he's praying for us. He is with us. He empowers us. He takes it through us. It takes us through all the issues. And, and we have to, we trust him. I mean, let me, let me say it in a nice way. Who else are you going to trust? I mean, think about it. If you trust yourself, you got nothing, right? I mean, we don't, we don't know anything. We don't know what the next minute's going to be. We don't know what's going on. But we know him. And he works everything according to the counsel of his will. The second thing is keep our focus on Jesus Christ. Think about that, not the circumstances of life. And it is really easy to look at stuff and to say, why is this happening? Oh, no, look what I've got next week. Look what's going to happen here. Why didn't this work out right? It is so easy to keep the focus on things rather than our Savior. And that's why it's so important to have our quiet times and study the Bible and think about Jesus and, and and memorize verses, put them in your brain so we can know that. The third thing, and that's understanding the meaning of the word saved and salvation. You have to always look in the context, whether it's a physical deliverance, whether it's something in the Old Testament, whether it's something to do with eternal life, salvation, whatever. One of the keys when you see the idea of salvation, is it past tense, present tense, or future tense? That will help you a lot. If it's past tense, it's almost always justification. If it's present tense, it's almost always sanctification. And if it's future tense, it's almost always glorification. So that would help you a lot. So understand God's three-phase plan of salvation, justification, sanctification, and glorification. I know there are big words. I know they're big words, but you could just say saved in the past, saved in the present, saved in the future. Have been saved, are being saved, will be saved. Now, most people don't understand that. 
So when you start talking about salvation, every, most people are going to think every time you hear the word salvation, it means eternal life salvation. And the truth is this, most of the time it doesn't mean eternal life salvation. Isn't that weird? But, but it is true, we have eternal life salvation. 